1: We're broadcasting in this eighth year from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. It's the place where technology meets entertainment. Looking at the studio window this afternoon, it's a bit um, bit smoky. There's a big fire just on the outskirts of Beverly Hills, about three miles away, two and a half miles away, and uh, they're hitting it with everything. They've got all the water-dropping helicopters and everything else out there, but it's getting very smoky and there's lots of helicopters around. So I wish everybody that's working on that fire well. You know, I went to a ISIS birthday party once, you know, ISIS. Uh, you know, they, it was a good party. They had plenty of games. You know, the musical chairs were a bit slow. But um, pass the parcel was really quick. Uh, I like that joke for some reason. But, and it's also the perfect lead-in for the first item on the program. Patriot One Technologies, they're up in Canada, has developed a radical new solution to the problem of terrorism, no matter what form it takes. It can be school shootings or bombings or hijackings, just about any event where um, an individual or a small group of people could inflict massive suffering. And the technology is a quantum leap forward on two levels. Firstly, the technical level. It's very bloody clever. And secondly, the psychological level. On the technical level, it's got the ability to pick out potential offenders with a near 100% success rate based on the molecular composition of the items they're carrying that's pretty cool so the devices not only detect metal but also non-metal chemical compounds such as explosives or plastic guns or anything and more importantly it does more than detect using sophisticated artificial intelligence algorithms it can actually determine the nature of the item that you're carrying It can tell the difference between a cell phone and a wristwatch, a gun or a bomb or a knife and a whole bunch of other items, and it can do so nearly infallibly. Then comes the psychological aspect where the real game-changing nature of this technology comes in here because the devices are invisible to outside observers, you know, you go to the airport now and you've got to walk through those metal detection gates. You don't hold up your arms and they run over you with the metal wands. These sensors are actually buried in walls and ceilings. And they're networked to create scanning zones <laughs> scanning zones that entire groups of people can pass through simultaneously. So they can be set in the walls and in the ceilings and in the furniture or whatever. And uh a whole bunch of people can walk through without even being aware that they're being scanned this would mean that you will never ever 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 have to stand in line at a TSA checkpoint again at the airport that works for me now unlike all previous security technologies it'll actually improve foot traffic and the physical appearance of every environment I mean you know you get to the airport it is as slow as hell to get through um, the metal detectors and line up, and then they check every whatever number of people. I mean, it's all a pain in the butt. And uh, But this people will just be able to go straight through. You won't have those big, ugly machines everywhere. They'll just be tucked away in a wall or a ceiling. Pretty cool. Now, if a would be offender steps into a detection zone when they've got something concealed, the response from authorities would be immediate. And these algorithms are so well calibrated, the system is just about to determine the make and model of the firearm if somebody carries it into the zone. So they know exactly what you're carrying. This new system, of course, is going to be installed for the first time ever in an American high school and an American university. Of course, they're not telling you which schools and they're not telling you which universities just to keep would-be bad guys on their toes. And given the sensitive nature of this uh, technology, it's of the utmost importance that the algorithms are refined as much as possible before it can be rolled out en masse. So they need to... Get it out there so that they get constant stimulus from a variety of seemingly chaotic environmental factors, and that way it gets more and more accurate. That's within a year or so, it is highly likely that there will be a rapid rollout. You know, if this thing really works as well as Patriot says it does, it, I can see it going into every school, every university, every sports event really quickly so the company is patriot technologies they're up in canada and this is a real winner for them now do you get my 30 second daily read newsletter
0: so we now got about
1: 1.7 million daily subscribers it takes just 30 seconds and every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps, new technology. We talk about subjects like Hyperloop and autonomous cars, blockchain, um, Bitcoin, Ethereum. We do all of that. And uh, tomorrow's newsletter, I'm not sure what tomorrow's newsletter is actually now that I think about it. It's about, um, oh, I know what it's about. It's about using blockchain to cool down and reduce global warming. And the first uh, major retailer to create a carbon credit system using blockchain tokens is Ben and Jerry's. So the tokens can be traded on a distributed open source blockchain exchange. And this is run by the startup Stellar. So it's a very impressive way to reduce carbon. And uh, the newsletter is absolutely free. Its information is invaluable, so just go onto my website, bobprichard.com. that's B-O-B-P-R-I-T-C-H-A-R-D.com, and enroll. Um, and we don't sell your details to anybody, we don't give them to anybody, they never ever leave our security. So you can get the newsletter, learn about what's going on in the world and be um, totally secure. I got a whole bunch of emails today about yesterday's newsletter and uh, about today's newsletter, actually, which was about IHOP changing their logo from IHOP, which is International House of Pancakes, to IHOB which is the International House of Burgers. And uh, I've got a whole bunch of people that were saying um, all sorts of things about burgers and and pancakes. And I got one from a guy in Canada saying, um, fuck you, don't send me any more of these. (laughs) So I guess going to the um, unsubscribe and hitting the button was too hard for him, But... um, We hardly have any unsubscribes, and every day we get more and more and more and more people coming on. Now, if you missed out early in buying cryptocurrencies, and I've been talking about it now for years, keep your eye on the marijuana industry because the changes have been very significant. Up until recently, it was a drug that was considered harmful. People lost their jobs because of it. People get locked up because of it. People couldn't get a job because of their previous experience with marijuana. It was life-changing because there was a stigma to it. However, a lot of changes in the last two years. and Donald Trump came out a couple of days ago and said that um, he's in favour of legalising it. Now, the Attorney General is still very strongly against that, but Donald Trump seems to be in favour. And uh, some some really big examples can be seen with government legislation in the medical industry. They're two of the biggies. Canada's public health agency, Health Canada, has reported that the number of people in Canada who are registered to use medical marijuana reached 236,000 people in September last year. 236,000, that's a hell of a lot. And that's a 40% increase from just six months earlier. In 1995, a year before California became the first U.S. state to legalize medical cannabis, that's 23 years ago. It just shows you how far ahead California is. A Gallup poll recorded that only 25% of Americans supported the idea of making weed legal. Now, this last October, Gallup showed that this had changed from 25% to making weed legal to 66%. Are now in favor of full legalization but uh, of course the US Congress continues to make it exceptionally hard for legalization in America you've got all those unbelievably conservative old parts in the middle of the country so federally it's still illegal and uh, they say it has no recognized medical benefits which is a bunch of hogwash I know a number of people that um, use medical marijuana that are prescribed by a medical marijuana doctor who's a specialist and uh, they're reporting great benefits. So the US is missing out on a lucrative opportunity because of its stubbornness when it comes to legalising cannabis. However, Canada, uh, they're not wasting any time, it legalised medical marijuana in 2001 it has Health Canada overseeing licensing and regulation with the substance. Now it looks like Canada could be the first developed country in the world to approve recreational use of marijuana, probably in a couple of months. Investors and companies have begun to see the incredible potential and opportunity associated with cannabis. The Canadian developments have had four of the largest publicly traded firms surging because investors wanted in. The combined market value, market cap of the four largest publicly traded firms in Canada has reached more than $780 million. Together, all marijuana companies on Canadian exchanges have a combined market value of about 25 billion. That's a lot. So if and when full legalization happens in Canada, it's going to bring a huge increase to the market's capital potential There are going to be a lot of companies that want to be part of this booming industry you know, the demand for marijuana just keeps steadily increasing there are 20 major companies in Canada that, that began in the mining or oil and gas sectors that have now gone into the marijuana industry these companies have figured that well it's a lot more profitable to be part of the marijuana business than it is to be mining and digging crap out of the ground. So using mining companies as a way to publicly trade makes it easier and faster to list. Companies don't have to, you don't have to undergo a full Securities Commission review or file a prospectus and uh, Canadian exchanges just demand that companies present a viable plan to sustain operations looks pretty easy to me and the potential is obvious just an example of how one the use of cryptocurrency is expanding a piece of Andy Warhol's artwork is amongst the latest items to be sold for cryptocurrency and the paintings Warhol's 1980 piece 14 small electric chairs and it's valued at around six to ten million dollars dadiani fine art a London-based gallery headed up by art dealer and crypto economist Elisa Dadiani will accept 49% of the paintings cost. That's about $3 million, $5 million in exchange for Bitcoin and Ethereum. Dadiani who's known as the queen of crypto, has previously overseen deals for luxury items like rare cars and fine art in exchange for crypto. Dadiani's gallery... Began accepting cryptocurrencies last year, and it's among the first in the UK to accept digital currencies for art. Daniani describes her role in the cryptocurrency community as a conduit between a new source of wealth and traditional dealerships. I know a hell of a lot of people that have got tens of millions of dollars or made tens of millions of dollars in Ethereum and um, and Bitcoin. They're dying to spend their money. So taking crypto for luxury items makes one hell of a lot of sense to me. Now today, I hit the jackpot with my interview. I've got an incredible young singer, songwriter and musician. She's also a data scientist and cryptologist. She's lovely. She's cute. She's fun. This girl has got absolutely everything going for her. And I first saw Shalita Burke when she performed at Metal. And Shalita's new song, Hola, has just reached the top 10 songs on the R&B chart on Genius. Fantastic work, girl. If you're listening to this, really proud of you. We love you. So I'll be back with my friend Shalita after this short break on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And We're being broadcast across the world this week from our studio in Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, where technology meets entertainment.
0: You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard
1: Straight Talking Radio Show, where for the past six years we've given you insights into the lives of over 330 of the world's most interesting people. We talk about what they do, what motivates them, and we try to find out what it is that makes them tick. You know, it's extremely difficult to be successful today. It doesn't matter what field you're in. And so we all need all the help and advice and guidance that we can get from those who have been out there and become successful. So the aim of this segment is to try and help you to be more successful. Now, on this program, we've spoken to a number of great musicians about their music careers and about, and we've also spoken unrelatedly to the incredible influence that blockchain's having on business. Now today, I've really hit the jackpot today with an incredible young singer, songwriter and musician who is also a data scientist and cryptologist. I'm not sure what the hell a cryptologist is, however, her name is Shalita Burke and I love this girl, this girl is bubbly and fun and great talent and she's also bloody smart so let me get, let me start this off by reading a review on a first EP um brilliant highly acclaimed debut EP Transfixed that was released <coughs> in 2015 the reviewer said Burke's vocals combine the pulsating delivery of Alanis Morissette with the sultry smoothness of a sardé the calmness of Nora Jones and the high-pitched runs of Joni Mitchell. God, you can't get much better than that, can you? I mean, wow. No, this girl's really good. Originally from Seattle, she spent a few years travelling in Europe, soaking up influences from a myriad of cultures and developing her singular music style until she settled finally in Los Angeles. But let's go back a bit. Shalita started programming when she was eight And after graduating from the Northwest College of Art and Design, she went on to become a senior data engineer at Microsoft and playing gigs at night. So when she was younger, she later saw the opportunity the internet could eventually provide to independent artists, so she left Microsoft and now pursues her music career full time. Now, I know a heap of struggling actors and singers and musicians in Los Angeles, and elsewhere, here in Australia, where I am at the moment, and um, Shalita's created a breakthrough path for talent, and it's really an interesting way to go, and could make a difference to a lot of lives. I was introduced to Shalita by my good friend Michael Garbutt, who's a really interesting character on his own, who's been handling promotion and publicity for every major talent in the world. I mean, seriously, you know, people from the Bee Gees to... Bowie to everybody. And he's he's a great guy and he introduced us and Shalita's become a friend to my mof, my wife Margie and I. And it's an absolute pleasure to have her on the show. Hi Shalita, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Thank you so much for inviting me on the
2: show. This is so exciting.
1: It's a pleasure. I believe you're joining us for Christmas. I
2: am joining you for Christmas. How cool is that?
1: We've got a great bunch of people alone. It's
2: pretty cool. Yeah. And a
1: great bunch of actors and people and you, you'll love it a bit last year it was it was just a fabulous day so let's let's begin by talking about your music career what age were you when you sort of realized that well I've got the talent to write and sing and that I can take that talent somewhere
2: well I honestly it was when I was seven years old and I was selected to be the lead singer in the church choir
1: okay that's so, when
2: I knew knew
1: so, so that, that's when you realized you could sing, when did you realize you could actually write great songs?
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, I was really, really egotistic. You know, as a child, I thought I knew everything. And so, you know, when I was six years old, um, I thought I could write great songs. And then by the time I was 15, that's when I knew I could write. You know, I really knew, knew that I could write great songs.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's pretty That's pretty young. So it, while you were developing your singing and really enjoying your singing, you were also... Um, Writing programming and the stuff. Right, so, I guess you're, you're just yes. one of those, genera- that generation that came through and that was sort of second nature to you.
2: Yes, yes. But, you know, like a lot of people think of programming as something that, you know, you, you sit in a dark room and, you know, you're coding all night and you're, you know, what you're doing is isolating and boring. And I never saw programming like that. To me, programming is art, you're creating something from nothing. You know, like the computer is a blank canvas, and you're, you're writing code from nothing, creating programs that do different functions. And to me, that's art. You know, it's no different than writing a song. Because, you know, when you write, you know, different programs, you're solving a problem. And some of those problems touch people. Some of those problems, you know, help them create a, a convenience factor in their lives. And songs do the same thing. Songs are like medicine for the heart, you know? And so I I see them as both art, you know? I can understand. Not something that's like super boring that, you know, like people think of programming and cryptology and they think, oh my God, it's so hard or, you know, it's just boring. And, you know, how could you get into something so technical? Well, it's not boring. And it has a lot of art factors, you know, a lot of creations. And, you know, it requires a creative brain. It definitely does.
1: I, I when I think of programmers, I always think of a dark room, late at night, guys living on <laughs> chips and Coca Cola, and having absolutely no personality whatsoever. But <laughs> you don't seem to fit that mold. Um, so, how did you actually break into the music business? When, what was your first break?
2: My first break actually was when I got invited to a festival in Ireland called New Bloom, and it was a you know like an industry showcase. And um, it was my first time to Ireland, and uh, you have to apply online and things like that. And they don't take a lot of applicants, and they chose me. And so that was my first like introduction into the industry. And through that, um, I've met some of the team members that I still work with today, um, which is crazy because they had a sister chapter in LA, and at the LA chapter is where I met some of my um, current teammates. And um, I, I really believe that, you know, things like U Bloom, where they put together showcases where people from the industry who actually care about musicians, you know, and, and want to do good, actually go and they look at talent and they actually do have resources to help artists that are starting out or a little further along in the journeys. And, um, and so the first year that I went to Ubloom, I was performing and the second year I became a mentor. Oh, great. And a speaker at the conference, which I was really excited to do and be a part of because it was one of the launching pads for me.
1: So you're, you're a data engineer at Microsoft and you're playing gigs at night. That's that's pretty tough road, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I was a performer for a lot of years, but I never tried to work during the day. I used to sleep all day. Um, so what was the trigger? said to you okay I'm going to give up my steady job at Microsoft that pays me every week and I'm going to go out into the very insecure world of being a performer full time what 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 was the trigger you just couldn't do it anymore or you just decided to hell with it oh, well on go
2: well I I decided that what you put your focus on grows and I noticed that as a you know engineer I had peaked Because I started engineering at an early age, so I had gotten to the senior peak in my career, and I just decided, wow, I reached the goals in this field that I was trying to reach. Musically, I'd like to expand and play in more countries and do more world tours, and I can't do that if during the day my my mind is occupied by something that doesn't fulfill me and my passions. And so I really do believe what you focus on grows. So I decided, wow, well, I really need to hone in to what I'm doing and dedicate 100% of my time to this. And do that, things started to really take off. And so that U bloom offer to play at that festival in Dublin came right after I quit Microsoft. Okay, and then, you know, right after that, I got introduced to Scott Page and Pink Floyd, and oh, then great. right after that he became yeah, he became my business partner yeah. and um, invited me to one of his radio shows at the time and so I did that and that's where I met the producer and my creative partner that I work with now that we've done like tons of hit songs with and um, you know things just started to line up one after another after another when I really focused on music and I think that yes it took some guts but I'm very happy that I You know, it's kind of like a bird that needs to be pushed away from the nest to fly,
1: you know? (laughs) I understand.
2: It's like, you know, you need to do it. It's just like having the courage to do it and not knowing what's going to happen after that. Because for me, I need a plan before I do anything. And I didn't have a solid plan before I quit my job. I just knew that's what I needed to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, finding Scotty Page, that's um, fortuitous. You know, Scotty's a, a mate of mine too, and he is... One of the things I like about talent that are really good is that they're so giving. And This is, I was going to talk about it a bit later, but one of the things that I really admire about you is that you're so giving of your time and, and your advice and, and whatever. And I think that's what makes a great artist, you know, people who want to share and want to help other people. And Scotty's certainly that. So you've just released a new record. Tell us about that.
2: Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I just released a special EP. And um, it's it's interesting because before releasing this EP, I released, you know, two songs. And it was like 90 days in between every release. Right. When I released the special EP, I released one song a week until the album came out. Right. And it, I noticed that, okay, I released one song and the song went viral and hit more than a million plays in 24 hours. And then I released the other song and then that one got like twice the amount of plays and then when i you know it was like this you know viral explosion when i released the entire album and um, i was not actually expecting that to happen i was expecting to at least at least work on the entire ep for the next like six months pushing it like hardcore and (laughs) with all the fans and things like that but it just started to take a life of its own
1: (laughs) well that's what you want um What's the hardest part about breaking into music and, and the performing business in Los Angeles? I mean, everybody in the world that's got any talent at all gravitates to Los Angeles because it's sort of the music and film and whatever capital of the world. Um, how? What's the hardest part about breaking... The young act that's out there listening now um, who sits there and thinks, Jesus, where do I start? Um, what's your well, advice
2: to that? I would say there is one thing that every single person in the entire universe has that that they forget they have. And that is every person has something unique about them, about the way they grew up in life and the way they see the world. And the more you focus on that uniqueness and the more you focus on what that looks like, what that sounds like, that creates something that people gravitate to naturally.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Because
2: so many people try to be like everybody else. So yeah. when you're unique, you stand out like a sore thumb yeah. in a big crowd.
1: Yeah, that, that's interesting because when you think about that, it doesn't matter whether you grew up in the projects or grew up in Beverly Hills. You've got a unique set of experiences that, that people are interested in either way.
2: Yes. Now, and the more that you can be the best you that you can be and no one can be a better you. And so focusing more on being the best you that you could be is one of the things that will help you be more successful.
1: Jeez, I'm still trying to find out what the me is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm good at something. I just can't quite put my finger on what. Um,
2: well, I think every human being has the capacity and potential to, to be good at themselves, being good at you.
1: Jeez, you can fuck up a a lot along the way, though, can't you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Which is the beauty. It's the beauty of life, you know. Like, for instance, like, when I was writing um, the Drive song, I wrote that song when I was super depressed and not feeling the best about myself. And, you know, I I wanted to find the beauty within those moments Mm. and channel it through a song, because songs to me are medicine, you know, and I, when I do that, I'm doing that with all the things that I have in my body and my mind and what I see visually. And if they're not someone else's interpretations, they're my interpretations.
0: Yeah.
2: And sometimes that gets a little like, oh my gosh, this is a vulnerable place because what if someone doesn't connect to what I'm seeing? But at the end of the day, humanity connects to everything you're seeing because we're just here to be observers for the universe. And so the more unique perspective that we have to add to this beautiful place called life, the more we can collectively understand ourselves, understand our environment and understand the communities. Because for me, like music is all about connection. When I'm on stage, it's all about connection. When I'm writing songs, it's all about my, my internal connection, you know, and Connecting with people and engaging directly with people without interference to me and my music, you know. Yeah. But that's just how I feel about it. That's exactly. Everybody right. else has their own journey. So. True.
1: <laughs> nothing moves people like music does, and nothing, nothing brings back memories like music does. Um. Oh
2: not, yes.
1: Not a, they don't necessarily have to be great memories, but they, they're nevertheless memories. Um. You don't leave anything to chance. You sort of trust your career to data science and blockchain, and you take a deliberate approach to reaching out and building your fan base. You've grown your tribe, as you call them, to, what, 300,000 or so on Twitter. That's extraordinary because that's up there with, you know, a lot of artists who've had heaps of songs on the Billboard Hot 100. How do you do that? I mean, how do you, for a layman, how does that work? How, okay. do, you, how do you use... Um, blockchain, for example, to build your database and your fan loyalty?
2: Well, what I would say is there's, there's different ways to do that. And so one of them, so I'll start with the first question, and that is how do you build a big fan base on any of these social media platforms? Well, the first thing you do is you think about what part of your personality can someone else in your neighborhood connect to? Think about that. Think about your closest friends and think about why do my closest friends connect with me? And once you think about that space, think about when you connected the last time with another human being. Think about what that space looked like, what it sounded like, what it felt like, and then create something that you can put on your social media channel that channels that feeling that you felt. Your audience will connect to that. And that feeling of connection is contagious. And that's when the sharing comes in. People share things that have value to them. Yep. When th- Think of every share that you see on any piece of content that hits your phone or your desktop computer or your laptop as, wow, this many people shared the value of what I'm looking at. Now, it doesn't mean that the thing that you're looking at is high-quality content. It just meant that that content spiked a contagious reaction of behavior that's shared across multiple human beings.
1: So what you're doing,
2: and is, so you you have to think about. Oh, as, um, go.
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm just. I was just going to say what you're saying is you're looking at yourself and working out what your psychographic personality is and then you're out there appealing to people who have a similar um, psychographic personality right you're just hitting all those people yes. that are similar and having them build a relationship with you because they feel a kindred spirit is that how it works?
2: yes and so basically you are building community by leading with their values which means you're creating an emotional connection with people by showcasing what you believe in right um
1: another problem for artists and one that i hear all the time is about getting paid and getting paid you know in some sort of reasonable amount of time now a lot of times royalties don't pay out for six to nine months and it doesn't matter whether you're an actor or a singer or whatever royalties seem to take forever um so, for the recent release, release of your album special, you use blockchain technology to sort it out yourself, so that you are in control yes. of royalties. How did that work?
2: And so, the way that works is I created an Ethereum smart contract, and everyone involved in the project gets paid directly when a sale is made directly on my website. When the sale is made through iTunes and the other places. Like you know, Spotify royalties and things like that, they get paid directly, but they get paid directly after the aggregator pays me, and then it routes the payments to them accordingly. And so, what does that mean? It means that wh- whether it's iTunes or direct to my website, there's blockchain technology behind the payment, routing the payments without a human being being there.
1: Right. So people get- and
2: so people get paid much faster.
1: And I guess they're really pleased about that, right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Another thing is um, currently I take all my musician royalty checks and I put them into cryptocurrency and right. cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin, Litecoin and Ethereum. Right. And I do this because we get paid traditionally from the traditional platforms like, you know, like, you know, when someone makes an iTunes purchase or when someone makes an Amazon purchase or when you're at a website and you're making a purchase you get paid anywhere between six to nine-month intervals. Yep. And so if you take the big check that you get or the small check that you get or whatever the check you get and put it into cryptocurrency, you've already waited the six to nine months to get paid. So you might as well wait six to nine months to spend the money. Sure. And so by the time you get to spending the money, the value of, of the dollar in, in your bank account stays the same amount for six months. But if you take it and you put it into Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Litecoin, the the probability of the value of it changing during that six to nine month period is actually higher than in your bank account.
1: Absolutely. So we can we can look forward to seeing you racing up and down Sunset Boulevard in your new Ferrari, right?
2: <laughs> well, you know, I'm a long term thinker, so probably in two to three years. <laughs> By that
1: time, I'll I'll be able to afford one. Okay. You've got an interesting um, way to determine what you're going to write about. Now, Shalita writes uh, every day, um, morning, afternoon, and evening. She just constantly writes songs, and she actually gets her inspiration in a different way than most songwriters that I know of. Tell us a little bit about you wake up in the morning and you... Say, huh I've got an idea for a song. How does that how, did, how what's that process?
2: Well, I'm inspired by all of the sounds that we hear around us. Like every sound, like the, the closing of a door or me waking up and you know, like turning over the covers, like the sound of that, me walking outside and going into a lift car and the car being opened or closed. Like all of these sounds trigger songs for me. And the reason that happens for me is because we relate to what's familiar and there's a lot of familiar sounds that we grow up with that we are in environments with that actually connect to us in ways that we're not consciously aware of and so I like to use those sounds as a starting point into a song and then as I'm talking amongst friends or new people I don't know and having you know casual conversations I take lines from those conversations and I put them into songs And then I mirror that into, like, a relationship that I'm going through or um, a relationship I want to happen. And um, some of my songs are just reflections of this is what I want to happen. (laughs) This is the ideal universe.
1: (laughs) So you've just written a few new songs, I believe, and um, you'll go into the studio soon and record those?
2: Yes, yes. I'm really excited about them. Um, One of the songs is about sleeping. Sleeping. I write a a lot about sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because it's something we all have to do And um, it, it's, it's funny because it, it's kind of like A uh, a part two of the Drive song because the drive song is The hook is you don't go to sleep Because you have to drive home right. And that's about driving and sleeping But this song is like part two Like what happens when you actually get home You know And you have to go to sleep because you have no other choice But to get up in the morning and do it all over again Yeah and so I, I'm, I'm writing about the nuance between right when you fall asleep and you go into this dream-like land and how you can have something called lucid dreaming. Right. And lucid dreaming means you control your dream and you, you set a conscious intention of what you want the dream to be. And then during the, the dream, you like take control actually in the dream and it becomes the dream that you want it to be. And that, for me, is a metaphor for life. So because you, we make our realities happen based on how we think about what we're seeing and experiencing.
1: So do you keep a pad and pen next to your bed and you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and go, Aha, I just thought of a brilliant new line for, or I just came up with a chorus for this song, middle eight for this song.
2: Well, I'm actually normally up at 3 a.m. You what? And the way that, <laughs> what? and the way that it happens I didn't know there was a 3 a.m. <laughs> um, the, the way it naturally happens for me is if I don't remember the line I have a really good memory but if I don't remember the line if the line doesn't come back to me then I know that the line wasn't catchy enough like I focus a lot on choruses and catchy sure. hooks and for me if I can remember the line a day or three days or four days later then I write it down Just to record it into memory even deeper and then I know that I may it's or may catchy. not have something yeah
1: um, I just had a note put in front of me saying... And I got an email in from my great friend Freddie Revelle. Um He's listening to this and he, he, want, he says he wants to meet up with you and Margie and I for dinner when we get back from Australia. Um, now, Freddie began playing with Sergio Mendez when he was really young and then he went to Santana for a lot of years and then Earth, Wind and Fire and he wrote the music
2: I love Earth, Empire. Fire he, I love Earth, & Fire
1: and he wrote the music um, for Evita with Madonna so he's, he's um, a fairly accomplished guy <laughs> he's a bundle of talent and Freddie seriously wrote me an email um, which I've just got and he said that um, he wants to catch up with us and we see him all the time um, we've been good friends for years but he wants to catch up with you and us when we get back to LA. He, he, he left out the bit about him paying the bill. I, I, I'm sure he meant to. Put that, I'm sure he meant to put that in. <laughs> but so that's that's the date when we when we get back. Um, so where do you go from here? What's what's next for Shalita Burke? Where do you what, what do you want to achieve in the next twelve months? And then. Five years and ten years. Where do you want to be?
2: Well, in the next couple of months, I have not scheduled this yet, but I do. I set an intention, and I go make it happen. I intend to go on another tour next year. Right. I intend to play at um, more festivals and spread the the music to more people. I intend to inspire more other musicians and having sustainable structures. And I, for right now. In two to three, I would say two to three years, my intention is to set up a big hedge fund that will fund musicians without strings attached that come with the team attached. So no strings attached, just a team attached so that the the person making the music and creating these beautiful song babies gets to own all of their creative work and the team helps them get there and they're completely financed so that we could have more beautiful music in the world and so that we could have structures where musicians have a safe place to go and to express their art and express themselves in a way that's not financially or economically strained so that's what i intend to do in the next you know two to three years
1: that is a great idea it's kind of an incubator for like like um, startups have where they can go in and get all the services that they need and to help them build their business. It's So it's like a, an incubator for, for music. So you can go in and yes. no matter what aspect of music you need help with, then it's,
2: it's... Right, and notice I didn't say the word label because this is not a label. It's not an anti-label, but it's not a label. It's just a new business model for artists.
1: The, the label business is dead, isn't it?
2: Um, I don't. I don't feel like I could use the word dead. I would use the word it's transforming. Okay. Just like <laughs> our choice between vinyl and MP3 doesn't make vinyl dead. It just makes the MP3 as a transformative state of the way people are consuming music. Right. I think the same thing happens in every industry when it comes to business.
1: Yeah. There's been a. There's been a huge shakeup. Um, I think there's been a giant shake-up right across all industries. It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, Airbnb and the hotel industry or Uber and Lyft and the taxi industry. There's been a huge change. But I think that the change in music and the way music is not only recorded and distributed, but how it, um, um, where people get their music from and how they buy music is is probably as big a change as any transformation in any industry.
2: Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you. But I do relate it to the book industry. When you look at the way books are being distributed now and how all these amazing bookstores have been getting shut down. Yeah. You know, we used to have Borders Book and they went under and now the only one we really have left is like Barnes & Noble. Right. You, you know and so do you think it's easier um,
1: my last book um, went out through a just you know it, it was put out through a publisher uh, and then distributed by the publisher and and they still have a hell of a lot of muscle I mean first time I saw my book in Barnes and Noble I walked into Barnes and Noble in Washington DC with my son he was going to college there and you know, there's something about walking in and seeing your books on display and, you know, all of that. And that's got to... Do you sell more books going through a big distributor and whatever, or do you think... Record, let's go back to, to songs. Do you sell more songs if you've got the muscle of a of a, a label behind you, or, or can you achieve those sales? You now, I'm not talking about a huge act, I'm not, you know, but... It, an av- a good talent, a good talent that's out there. Can you sell as many uh, songs through the new distribution channels as you can if you've got a big label behind? I
2: think it would take longer to do it without a label. Yeah, I don't think it's impossible, but it takes longer without a label. And also, the songs have to be good. So let's assume that the songs are monstrously amazing. Yeah. Let's start there with the criteria. Yeah. And when it comes to sales, the the behavior of the customer is no longer to buy music, it's to stream music. Because the the music lover is now with this dilemma of, why buy one album when I can pay $10 and own every album of multiple artists? I mean, that hurts artists, but that's what the consumer is being challenged with. And so in in that way, yes. And in that way, you know, it's being transformed, like the the relationship is being transformed. And, you know, there are artists out there that are selling more albums than major label artists. But that that key data point is reflective of where the industry is moving. The industry is moving more towards streaming than it is on direct album sales. And so that's reflective of what we're seeing
1: so can independent artists make more money now? Because labels were notorious for...
2: If they have amazing songs and a really good, tight business structure and a really amazing team, yes. It does take longer, but yes. And if they have the economic resources to compete at a major level level, then I do believe they could make more money.
1: Yeah, I guess
2: one of But But big- having all of those factors and, and you know... Working for you at the same time is extremely difficult in today's marketplace.
1: And one of the difficulties, I guess, is that you've got to have a video and videos are expensive. Um...
2: Well, I I actually disagree. I, you know, like, for instance, I do not have not one music video out for my current album. Not to say that I won't put them out, but I put the music out because I wanted the music to lead first. And then later I will put out music videos. Because it's all about the audio. And on YouTube, even now, when people go to music channels, they're listening to the audio now and they're putting down their laptops and they're not even seeing the music videos. Oh, that's interesting. Like there's been, there's two studies out right now as we speak that shows this data where people aren't looking at the music video anymore. They're hearing the audio because they can't stand to see all these ads. (laughs) And that's why when you look at podcasting and radio shows the reason why those are taking off one of the reasons not the only reason but one of the reasons is because it's audio yep. you can listen to it in the car you can listen to it while you were at home and doing other things
0: and, no and you don't ads. have to
2: be in front of, no ads right <laughs> and you don't have to be in front of a screen to hear the audio and and that's really like audio books have been taken off more than ever now, podcasts have been taking off, things that don't have this visual element to it. Now that does not diminish the quality of these visual elements, it just means that, you know, until you get to a certain part of your artistic journey, you know, it depends on what you want to do as an artist. It's not a must-have.
1: At the start of this interview, I said this girl's a dynamo and really smart, and I think that the last 35 minutes or so have just proven you know, how smart and how... This girl is a star. And, um, Shalita, I'm so glad that you took time out for your schedule to talk to me. I really appreciate it. And um, if, if you'd like to find about more about Shalita, Shalita Burke, and want to listen to her music, go to Shalita Burke, S-H-A-L-I-T-A, Burke, B-U-R-K-E.
2: S-H-E-L-I-T-A.
1: Oh, S-H-E-L-I-T-A, sorry.
2: Yes,
1: he. <laughs> Shalita it's okay. com, And um, I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. And Shalita, I'll see you at Christmas.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having me.
1: It's a pleasure. See you soon. Okay. Bye. absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment. Now, last year, Amazon opened their Amazon Go store in Seattle, and we covered it at the time. Now, the store has no cashiers and uses a checkout process by using technology like Computer vision and deep learning to capture products that customers take from the shelves. So you take the product from the shelves, it's captured, and goes onto your bill, and you pay the check as you you pay off your credit card as you walk out the door. No cashiers. Now this may be a glimpse into the future of retail. As Amazon just announced, it is expanding the stores into new cities in the U.S. So far, it's only been in Seattle. Now the company's latest effort to revolutionize the grocery industry, this has got a lot more power, is to leverage the 470 store Whole Foods platform. As you know, Amazon bought Whole Foods, big stores, good stores, 470 of them, and they're gonna offer Prime members free two hour delivery in pilot markets using a store fulfillment model. If you're a Prime member, it's got huge advantages. Now, online grocery delivery remains only a small part of the overall grocery market. It really hasn't worked only 6 to 7% of the UK grocery market. It's 5% in Europe, 5% in America, and it's about 2% everywhere else except Asia. Now, Asia's ahead of the curve where 37% of shoppers in the Asia-Pacific region claim to have ordered online groceries compared to just 13% who say they have ordered at least once online in Europe and online delivery profitability is really sketchy UK grocer Tesco claims 2 to 3% profit margins Ocado a purely online UK grocer with 1% of the grocery market incurred losses in 2017 and its revenues are driven only by contracting out their e-commerce expertise rather than their online grocery sales Products are perishable. They need to be kept chilled or frozen as they are stored and then delivered. They're not very stackable. Online orders can usually be picked up and shipped from stores, and this is known as the store fulfillment model, and most of the stores now have got racks where they put the the stock and you go in and pick it up yourself. When uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods, um, despite the fact that Whole Foods only got about 2% of the U.S. market, shares of all the uh, competitors plummeted about 10% because of Amazon's muscle. Now, Amazon's using Whole Foods as a platform for online grocery as well as a new pillar of its Amazon Prime program by offering free two-hour delivery using the store fulfillment model, which means you've got to go in and pick it up yourself. And Whole Foods shoppers must be Prime members. This, uh, this enables Amazon to receive valuable data on its grocery consumers, enabling the best stock program and being able to predict buying patterns. So Amazon certainly grabbed headlines and attention with its recent grocery moves. Some of it might be genuine innovations. While Amazon fresh and prime, Amazon might end up disrupting online grocery, maybe not but mainly only for affluent urban consumers now remember well two things to remember firstly if you want to make sound investments for your future you should get your tickets now to the crypto invest summit and you've got to go to crypto invest summit dot IO remember if you're not living on the edge you're taking up too much space it's easier And much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. If you're always trying to be normal, you'll never know how amazing you can be. Now, I hope you can join me again next Tuesday where I'll be broadcasting from a client's event in Boston, Massachusetts, where I understand that the weather is beautiful. I'll let you know next Tuesday. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative sucks. This is Bob Pritchard.